Hello everyone and welcome back to yet another wonderful, wonderful episode of Wild, Messy, Infinite Love. My name is Eric Snader, the host, producer, creator of this podcast. Um, Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I am very excited to bring you something that has been working on me for, uh, I guess, the past six or nine months, really. I'm... So this week's episode is called Getting Horizontal, (laughs) which is kind of a play on words. When I think of um, getting horizontal, I think of, uh, shall I say, a a sexual sexual innuendo. I can't even talk right now. Um, But so we're going to be talking about getting horizontal, but not necessarily about the bedroom, but you'll see. You'll see what I'm talking about. Um, Real quick, just a few things. Um, I hope that you've enjoyed the interviews that I did with Kelly and with Aaron. I absolutely love doing that, and I am really looking forward to getting some more interviews. Um, I have a couple more friends at Wesley that I'm going to interview who are doing some incredible work, some really interesting work, who are really bright, wise, wonderful individuals. Um, so I'm really excited to interview them and bring those, excuse me, bring those episodes to you in the coming weeks. Uh, but as always, if you can think of anyone who you know is just doing incredible work, shoot me out a comment, um, leave leave something. Um, if you know me personally, drop me a text or send me an email or something. Give me some more um people that I can interview, uh, because I absolutely love getting to hear what other people have to say about how they're participating in the wild, messy, infinite love within our universe. Um, as cool as I think I am, I really like myself. I know that I'm not the only one out here in the world with things to say. Um, so if you know anyone who's doing interesting or, um, captivating work, let me know. Shoot me out an email. Um, and I would love to have them on the podcast. Other than that, you know, rate, review, um, leave a comment on the podcast, whether you're listening on Podbean or iTunes or, you know, whatever else, review it, rate it. Um, that all helps the podcast grow and helps, uh, this platform to be more accessible for more people. Um, So if you want to help me out by doing that, perfect. Um, I really appreciate that. But anyway, we're going to talk about getting horizontal. So let's freaking talk about it. So the past couple podcasts, I have done, I guess, bullet points, and I really enjoy doing bullet points, but I think this was, this podcast, I scripted it out because I really want to hammer in on what it is I'm trying to say. So as I mentioned in the intro, this podcast, what we're talking about in this podcast has been something that's been working on me for the past, you know, six to nine months, pretty much this entire school year since the end of August. Um, And, you know, 
this whole idea of earth care and being in union with one another and like like this whole podcast of being like in tune with yourself your true self and with your communities and with your cosmic energy and with the cosmos and universe and all that kind of stuff that's this this podcast podcast is going to start touching on some of those areas like earth care and being in tune with nature and in tune with our communities and all that kind of stuff uh, because this is something that I think is really important. This is something that I didn't necessarily grow up hearing. But once I heard it, I was like, holy cow, why are we not talking about this every single day of our lives with everyone we come into contact to? So without further ado, here is my podcast. Um, so one of the really interesting things that I've noticed within our present day culture is that we have this this like phenomenon of rating things. Um, you know, we rate things based on their looks and based on their value and based on their background, um, particularly beauty and looks um, and like human beings in general, we rate them. You know, I commonly hear in my day-to-day life, whether it's on the TV or the radio or at the mall, like some guy saying, dude, she's a total 10. She's way out of your league. Or maybe something like, dude, she's a three, man. Don't stoop so low. Or any other countless ways in which we boil down a human being into numbers and beauty standards and classes and everything else that we boil and reduce people down to. And, you know, when I encounter this vocabulary and this way of thinking, obviously it disgusts me uh, because I'd like to think that I personally am not simply a number based on my looks or, you know, you can't, I know that I can't be reduced down to just one base number or one base fact about me. Um, And I don't believe that other people can too, but when I encounter this vocabulary, it doesn't really surprise me that much at all. I mean, we live in a utilitarian consumeristic culture. We live in this culture that looks at things based off of their productivity, based off of their uh, monetary value to us and to our communities. Um, We view things as things that we consume. Sometimes we view people as things that we consume to build our own status up. I mean, this is the culture that we live in. Everything about our world is separated by class and numbers. I mean, like how much money you make, who your parents were, what school you went to, where you work, all of that stuff places us into these specific categories that are supposed to be descriptive of who we are. Our worth is based off of that category. You know, if you have more acne than someone else in high school, you're labeled as a lower, less attractive number than, say, the guy who has this really high metabolic genes from their crazy athletic parents. If you're into playing Dungeons and Dragons rather than football, you're labeled a nerd. If you struggle with math or school or interpreting literature or art or anything like that, but you can play sports really well, you're labeled a meathead or a jock. And when we find ourselves in those categories, 
people look at us differently. It's almost like they're making assumptions based off of the categories that we find ourselves in. And I, I know that I am not the only one who has experienced this kind of labeling. You know, all of these social locations that we find ourselves in, in the worldview that we have, it's descriptive of who we are. I remember in college, I liked to wear, you know, like clothes from American Eagle and, you know, like skinny jeans and that kind of stuff. And everyone kept saying like, oh, Eric, you're such a hipster. Why are you such a hipster? And there were all these assumptions that came in with just based simply off of the way I dressed, not even looking deeper into who I was as a person. Um, And the really interesting thing about all of these social locations is that they represent almost like rungs on a ladder. We're constantly on this never-ending march upwards to become more popular, more wealthy, more influential, um, you know, more, more powerful. Um, and as we climb these rungs, there's this promise that once we get to the top, then we will be happy. Then we'll have made it. And the whole point of the world in our common Western American culture is to get vertical. And this this isn't a new phenomenon either. I mean, like it's been around for centuries. I mean, for crying out loud, the Roman Empire was famous for having a rigid hierarchical structure where everyone knew their place. Everyone was in a very well-known class, whether it be slave or freeman or Roman citizen or barbarian or like all this kind of stuff. It was very rigid. People knew what class they were in. And while Americans' Western society today may appear to have more, at least somewhat more social mobility between classes than that of the Roman Empire, I mean, like, In the Roman Empire, if you were born a slave, you were a slave and your children were slaves and your children's children were slaves and so on and so forth. So there is a little more social mobility within this Western American culture. And, you know, like the wealth is a little more widely distributed um, in our American culture than it was in the Roman Empire. I think the crazy stat was like 90 or 95 percent of the Roman Empire's wealth was controlled by like the top 3% of the population or something like that. It was wildly, wildly unequal. Um, And I mean, like, yeah, the wealth is a little better distributed today in America's culture, but not really. I mean, it's essentially the same basic structure. Um, And the whole point is that we're climbing this ladder towards continued consumption and power and wealth and influence. And, you know, we all know what this is like, right? It's the structure we've been handed. It's inherent in our businesses, our religious institutions. You know, it's quite literally become our way of life. Everyone is given worth based on their utility or productivity or usefulness, Um, This is, as Jay McDaniel might say, the basis of a consumeristic culture. And Jay McDaniel is this wonderful um, author. I got to read one of his articles in my systematics theology class called Eco-Theology and World Religions. By far one of the best articles I have 
ever read, if you ever get the chance to read Ecotheology and World Religions by Jay McDaniel, please, please give it a read. Jay McDaniel, if you happen to be out there listening, please reach out to me. I would love to have you on the podcast and hear more about ecotheology and earth care from you. Um, but anyway, this, this ladder-like structure that we have is the basis of consumeristic culture, as Jay would say it. And in that consumeristic culture, joy and happiness is only found in the consumption of these goods in order to continue climbing the ladder to eventually reach that like ultimate joy or that ultimate happiness. And it's just such a vicious cycle. You know, like in this worldview, in this way of life, relationships don't really mean anything. Relationships are just stepping stones to something greater and better. And once we leave that step behind, the relationship is left behind too. How many stories do we hear of individuals who've climbed the corporate ladder, so to speak, at the expense of their own co-workers? Or even worse, the startling and vomit-inducing fact that the a lot of the clothes that we wear every single day were given to us at reduced rates. And these rates come at the expense of the livelihood and safety of people working in these sweatshops in countries across the globe. You know, in this worldview of consumerism and constantly trying to get vertical, cheap goods are useful because people are more likely to buy the cheaper option, at least here in America. And when companies can cut corners to make production of goods cheaper, then they can reduce the end cost of whatever the product is, increasing the amount of their products that are eventually bought and by Americans like you and me, and therefore increasing their profit margins. And again, this just gets back to that vicious cycle of trying to climb the ladder. The more money you have, the higher on the rungs you are. I think too the you know like the inequality that racism brings about, but you know like it was such an unequal society because it only proved to be beneficial for a very small few, and the power and influence wielded by white slave owners and later Jim Crow law supporters was all a part of this ladder system, this vertical system. Black people were considered to be lesser beings. They were on a lower rung. Therefore, those on the higher rungs had the power and influence to lay their hands on those lower than them and control them. This is fucked up shit, people. And, you know, like, what about our religious institutions, particularly Western Christianity? God is literally viewed in a vertical relationship by many of us. God is some being up in the clouds, in the heavens. God is definitely not here among us. God is above us. And I mean, like, we are human. We are lowly, sinful creatures who are creatures of the flesh, and we're decrepit, and we're unworthy and unholy. Richard Rohr describes this as elevator theology because the goal of a relationship with God in this worldview is not necessarily to experience more full life here, but to quite literally go up to heaven, trading our own selves in for a brand new 
quote-unquote sinless model hot off the presses with the special access code into heaven, rather than viewing our lives as something to be restored, we viewed our lives as something to be exchanged. And, you know, it's no wonder that we got this idea when we think of atonement theories such as penal substitution, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with. It's this idea that God had to exchange God's only son, Jesus, to die on the cross to cleanse us of our sins. God literally had to exchange Jesus's life to cleanse us of our sins. And if we're sinful, then we need to exchange our sinful selves for something new, the upgrade, all the while continuing to try to climb the ladder of consumption and influence and money and power. Because of this view, we've done a lot of damage to ourselves as human beings. We've done a lot of damage to our fellow human beings. But we've also done a lot of damage to our created world, nature, as well because of this view. You know, humans weren't the only ones who were subject to oppression and the imperial drive for money and power and influence. The planet has been a victim of the violence and oppression as well. I mean, think of all the toxic waste that gets poured into our waterways. Um, the inhumane ways in which creatures are treated to eventually be brought to slaughter. I mean, like animals like cows in this big agriculture, like consumeristic society that we've created, animals are literally being force fed corn, not the food that they normally eat, oftentimes in detestable and overcrowded living conditions, riddled with disease. And they're force fed this stuff until they're fat enough to have their heads chopped off and their bodies sold at market. And we are fucking eating it up. Now, I'm not claiming that everyone should be a vegetarian. I realize that there's a cosmic cycle within the universe that goes from life to death. And somewhere in that death, something is restored or something gives new life. The death brings new life into being. And, you know, like I know that the overpopulation of animals isn't necessarily great for our planet either. Um, And, you know, like I... I try to eat primarily vegetarian, but every once in a while, I'll eat fish now and again. But dear Lord, our present day, quote unquote, big agriculture business, you know, these are like the businesses like Kraft and Monsanto and like these mega corporations. It's not very good for the animals, nor our planet, nor our own bodies, Big agriculture is one of the main contributors to carbon emissions into our atmosphere. And in case you haven't heard, climate change is already starting to affect our way of life and will only continue to get worse. Not only that, a vital part of the cosmic, this vital part of this cosmic cycle of life to death to rebirth, which I mentioned earlier, a vital part of that is actually being a participant in it. And right now, I mean, we could just stroll down to the local Walmart and pick up a pound of ground beef without even having to meet the animal who used to be alive or having any sort of connection or relationship with the animal who we're about to consume. I mean, like quite literally, Bessie has no inherent worth other than the worth that her meat brings when we eat it. 
that's a vertical view of the world. That's a vertical view of the cosmic order. And we, on the other hand, need to get horizontal. And I don't mean in the bedroom. Um, I know that's a really bad joke. Um, But even in the midst of that, like, play on words, I think about it. The act of having sex with another person is is the act of coming into some sort of union with one another where the lines between each other are blurred. At least sex at its best. That's been my experience with it. Um, But the horizontal understanding of society, the kind of horizontal that we're trying to get, is similar in the sense that it doesn't seek to stratify or classify people or creatures or the planet itself based off of its utility or background. Uh, A horizontal view of the world is one where we're taken outside of ourselves and placed within the greater whole of the cosmos. Um, Jay McDaniel again talks about this as the horizontal sacred, and he's really the person that I'm pulling a lot of this from. Um, But this horizontal sacred or this horizontal worldview views all living things as bearing inherent worth. Um, You know, it's not based off of our productivity. It's not based off of our hotness scale. It's not based off of our background. It's simply we are inherently worthy and dignified on the basis that we're all living things that are breathing. That's what gives the dignity and worth, no matter what they look like or where they come from, or even if they're the same species as us. The dirt breathes, the trees breathe, the creatures breathe, fish breathe, humans breathe. One of my favorite interpretations of the Exodus story um, comes when Moses's off at the burning bush and he's encountering God and he's asking God, you know, like, God, give me your name so I can tell these people who sent me, that I can tell them that it's actually you. And God's response of a name is this thing that scholars call the tetragrammaton. It's um, four Hebrew letters, yod Hey vav Hey. Without any vowels in between, the literal way of reading that without any vowels would be it's the sound of breathing. The breath is the name of God that we are all speaking. And some people claim that, oh, no, the Jews were leaving out the vowel points. And, yeah, they might have been. It could be Yahweh or Jehovah or Yehovah or whatever other rendition of Yahweh you've heard. It could be that. But I think one of the most compelling ideas is that the name of God is breath and breath is life and on the very basis that we're all living and breathing all things all creatures all soil all water all humanity bears an inherent dignity 
and worth. That's what the horizontal realm brings forward. That's what a horizontal worldview brings forward. That's how a horizontal worldview contests or opposes a consumeristic worldview. Because in the horizontal realm, we don't try to place people and things either above us or below us into these defined categories. Rather, we are all at our core valuable and dignified in our simple act of breathing and being. And not only that, you know, in this consumeristic society, we're said that we're told that consuming goods and trying to climb the ladder, that's where the joy is found. But as McDaniels would say, the joy is found in being in harmonious, growth-oriented relationships with those around us. You know, one of the things that I think about is, you know, it's not the bump in salary that you'll remember on your deathbed. It's not the promotion. It's the moments when you're with your family or loved ones that will stick with you and will come back to you in that moment before death. The, word, the vertical world is fleeting because it doesn't give us the width and depth to truly root ourselves in the experiences of relationship. To truly root ourselves in the experiences of relationships that matter. The vertical leaves out crucial aspects of love which seek to move from side to side rather than up and down. The vertical realm only views people, creatures, and the world as a means to their own end. The end being the constant climb that never really fulfills. And I know for me, you know, when I look back at the moments of pure joy in my life, they're not the moments where I achieve something. It's not the moments of getting an A in, a sa- in one of my seminary tests. It's not the getting the new job that puts me further down the path of my career. It's not getting the new shoes for my birthday. It's not getting the new Xbox game for Christmas. It's not any of that consumption. It's always been those moments of shared laughter and tears and true connection with nature, with the divine, and with my loved ones. In fact, I've found that the divine in those very, I found the divine in those very experiences with nature and relationships. The horizontal seeks to root us in these experiences rather than the consumption of goods and the endless climb. To put it another way, we are all of the same makeup. We're all members of one connected family, so to speak. Despite our very backgrounds and cultures and experiences, there is something at our cores which connects us to one another. If you want to call that relationship or God or source or the divine or whatever, the vocabulary in my mind doesn't really matter all that much. What matters is the experience of that connection. And, you know, it's easy enough to explain this in our human relationships and connections because they're so impactful for us. But even in our relationships with animals, with pets, with nature, all of those experiences are screaming this truth as well. I mean, like, how many of us have had a pet that we've instantly connected with and made a literal part of our family? My wife's parents have this wonderful little dog, a little multi-poo named Bella, who has such a unique and bright personality. 
even though me and my wife don't necessarily get to see Bella all that often because we don't live with her parents anymore, we're not the primary caregiver of this dog. You know, I never was, and my wife only was for a little bit before she left for college and moved out of her parents' house. But, you know, we still consider her to be a member of our family based off of the connection that we formed with Bella. And this connection is not just us being excited to see Bella when we go over to her parents' house, but Bella being excited to see us when we come over. That's that moment of connection. That's that relationship with something that's not even my own species. Not only that, there's inherent worth and sacredness in the fact that Bella is a subject to her own world. She has thoughts and feelings and emotions that can so clearly be seen. And not only that, they so keenly mirror my own thoughts and feelings and emotions. I mean, this week we were house-sitting for my wife's parents and I went on a run with Bella and there was a moment while we were running where, you know, I don't know what it was, but I just became more keenly aware of that connection between me and this dog. And even though I'm not a dog and even though Bella's not a human, there is some sort of spirit or thingness or source which connects us that's seen through our relationship. And I know I'm not the only one who's experienced this. Again, um, those moments when you're out in nature, maybe you're looking up at a star-strewn sky or you saw a picture of the black hole. Um, that's right. We finally know what a black hole looks like. Freaking crazy. Um, or maybe you're standing on the shore of the ocean or in a quiet wood or maybe you're simply sitting on your back porch sipping a glass of wine and looking at how the fields of corn blow in the soft summer wind. And in that moment, whatever moment you're in, you're brought out of yourself and realize that you are simply a small part of a bigger whole, which encapsulates the entire universe. That's the horizontal worldview. It opens us. It widens us. It takes us beyond ourselves in the connections that we form with the cosmos, with creatures, with the soil, and with our fellow human beings. In those moments of openness, we are opening to, open to listening to the stories and voices of those we're connected with. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're keenly aware of the Earth's mourning over climate change and the exploitation of our natural resources. We're enthralled by the joy of a puppy who is beginning to explore the brand new world around her. We're grieved to see the injustices which exploit our neighbors simply because they're the wrong skin color or gender or sexual identity or nationality or religious minority. And in those moments of breaking open and morphing into the whole cosmic thing, in the simple act of listening and being, there is joy and love and peace to be found. You know, we have those around us to stand in solidarity with us and comfort us when we're weak and suffering. <clears throat> we also have those around us to exalt in joy as we exalt in joy. We have everything around us at our disposal to not only support us, but to mirror the loving spirit of the divine. One of the things that Richard Rohr talks about in his most recent book, The Universal Christ, is that when you realize the universal Christ, 
that rests not only within humanity, but the very fabric of creation, the very fabric of the cosmos itself, within our pets, within the soil, within the water. When you realize that, you can never be lonely again. You know, when our eyes are open to this, we can't help but see it. Once it's known, it can't be unknown. And absolutely, I forget sometimes, you know, the vertical world is constantly bombarding us. I mean, like, how many ads do we see that are constantly telling us you need to consume this thing, you need to buy this next thing, you need to view this person without any sort of subjectivity. This is an object that you will use as you like. How much of that is constantly in our ears, before our eyes, within the very fabric of our society? It's everywhere. That much is true. But like I keep saying, the more we train the muscle needed to see in this way, then it continues to become easier for us to not only see it and understand it, but also to participate in it. Participate in the horizontal worldview, not the vertical worldview. So friends, I invite you now to see the horizontal spaces around you where love moves outward and not necessarily upward, where connection roots us in all living things and not just the next step on the ladder, and where the divine spirit which connects us all could be more clearly seen and known, pulling us ever onward into the bright future of a more wild, messy, and infinite connection with everyone and everything around us. Peace and love, y'all.